Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're faithful. You're always good. And Lord, you have this incredible knack for giving us the right word at the right time. So we ask you, we invite that this morning. We invite you to speak to our hearts where we're at. Lord, we invite that to come either through something I say or through something that I don't say and you just imply. So Lord, we ask that you would touch the sensitive places in our hearts and speak there. Pray that you would give me boldness and uh, clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. We are jumping into something I'm really excited about. We're going to preach through the book of Philippians. It's uh, probably my favorite book in the Bible. It is uh, short. It's only four chapters. Um, so we're going we're gonna to take some time. Uh, we don't even know how many weeks we'll do this. And we're just going to take it sort of chunk by chunk. Um, and uh, so this is the first week that we're doing that. We're going to look specifically about the topic of joy. Here's how Webster defined it. The passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. And there's so many different facets of joy and rejoicing in this book. Some of them are in your face. Some of them are more implied. Um, but I, there's lots of different things you could look at in the book of Philippians. There's so many different themes you could pull out. But this is the one we're going to uh, talk about the most, uh, in addition to some other themes. So we're calling this a study in joy. Um, about the letter, first of all, it was written by Paul around 62 AD, so roughly 30 years after the death and resurrection of, of Christ. Uh, it was written to the church in Philippi, which was probably made up of uh, a bunch of house churches. Um, it is, uh, it's a prison letter. Paul was in prison at the time. We don't know exactly where he was. Most people think he was in Rome. A lot of scholars also think Ephesus. Um, but the, that condition is very important. He was in prison. Uh, it was kind of a, in, in part, it was a thank you note for the gifts the church had sent him through a man named Epaphroditus. Um, one of the interesting things back in the day is that if you're in this prison situation, the, the jails didn't serve you food a lot of times. You would have to get that brought in. Did you know that? <laughs> and it wasn't true in all cases, but uh, that's what N.T. Wright was saying about this situation. So Paul had to depend on the generosity of other people just, just to eat. And um, so evidently Epaphroditus bought food, probably money for, for more food, supplies, uh, and he was going to send him back to the Philippian church. So it was a thank you note in addition to some other themes that he has in here. So we're going to jump right in, and then we'll hit the history here. Um, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making the request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So what's happened until now? Um, the people reading this had a history with Paul, and you can probably already sense that. It's a close, it's a familiar history. It's an affectionate history. They had known him well. Uh, they had deep affection for him. And it's not just because... He, start, he planted the church there. It was because they had gone through something difficult together. Have you guys ever gone through something close, uh, you know, something really hard with a group of friends and you came out like comrades in Have you ever gone through that before? I, 
I think one of the times this happened with us, you know, we moved up here eight years ago with George and, and Karen Nita, uh, and also with Janamith Williams, and we had been in ministry together for, uh, some t- for years, and we had gotten very, very close. And in part, we, that had started when we went on this terrible outreach together in 2004. It was, we were part of YWAM, you know, we were going on this thing, it was going to take like six weeks in Washington State, and, and it was going to be awesome, we had all this ministry lined up, and we were so excited, we got there, and like none of it was real, it was all like in this guy's head, and, and it was maddening, and we felt manipulated the whole time, and it was, we ended up just serving like crazy, but it was so frustrating, and I'm so glad we did it, because at the end of it, we came out with dear iron relationships, this is something I think that helped to forge this relationship with Paul and the Philippians. They had a history here. So let's go back 13 years to look at their history. Like I said, the book was written about 62 AD, um, but he had been there 13 years earlier in about 49. Um, here is a, uh, Paul's second missionary journey. He starts in Jerusalem, and he goes up through what is now Turkey, Asia Minor. He, what he, where he wants to go is Asia. But when you're reading that, don't think Asia, the continent, really we're talking about uh, proconsul Asia right here. It was a, a small province uh, in, in Turkey, specifically the city of Ephesus. That was sort of the hub of everything. Paul really wanted to go to Ephesus because it was sort of like the New York City of the day, man. Like if you're going to go planting churches, go right there. Port city, people in and out. He was excited for that. But it says the Holy Spirit forbid him to go into Asia. So he's like, okay, bummer. Well, we'll go north to Bithynia. But the the Spirit stopped them from going to Bithynia. We don't even know how he spoke in those ways. Uh, Maybe it was situational, and they prayed, and he said, not there. We don't know exactly what happened, just that he forbid it. So they said, okay. And so they went to Troas and stopped. And Paul one night uh, uh, is sitting in Troas, and suddenly he has this vision. And it's this vivid thing of this man from Macedonia, which is a, a province in Greece, place where he's never been to, as, as far as we know, and the man is saying, Paul, Paul, come to Macedonia, we need you, Paul, please, please, so he, the vision breaks, it was just like that, actually, that's what the Greek says, um, and so he, he says, guys, I know where the Lord's called us, this all makes sense, now that he stopped us from going there, he's calling us to Macedonia, so they all jump on a boat, Paul's with Silas, um, and Evidently, at this time, he's joined by Dr. Luke, the physician. He's also the writer of Luke and Acts. Um, And uh, so they go over uh, into Greece. Now, as far as we know, there there wasn't any church at all in Greece. There had been people from Greece. Uh, There have been, uh, if you read in in Acts chapter 2, the locations that everybody came from, they're all over the Roman world. And the Holy Spirit fell, and, and the gospel was preached, and people went whoo, scattered back throughout the empire to tell the story. But there's no evidence that there was a church anywhere in this, in this region. So Paul's going in there, and the first thing he usually does when he goes into a place uh, in order to start a church is he goes into the synagogue, and then he tells them how Jesus completes uh, uh, the, you know, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's all leading up to him. That's an easy place for him to start. That was his world. But there's not even a synagogue there. All there is, is a prayer meeting. It's a group of ladies that would meet at the river on the Sabbath. Now this to me is just super cool. These are probably what they call God-fearing people. Uh, When you see that term in Acts, generally what it means is they're people who were very attracted to the Jewish faith. Um, The the monotheism, the goodness of this God, 
uh, but did not completely become Jewish. A lot of times, um, they, they, they didn't want to take on all of the implications. One of those was a circumcision. They're like, this is too, this is too much. All this is too much. We have our own cultural heritage and, heritage and identity, but we have a real affinity. We, we like that God. We like the scriptures. It makes sense to us. We long for this. That probably is what this was. And Paul walks in to Philippi, and he, I don't know how he found out about the prayer meeting, but he goes to these women, and he begins discussing with them the story of Jesus Christ. And they believe and are baptized. And they start the first church in all of Europe. Isn't that cool? Started not in some big building. Started with a, a prayer meeting at a river. Um, so they, they fall in love with Paul immediately. Lydia is the, the name of the, the one who was uh, orchestrating this. She invites him into the home. More people come. They get momentum. They're praying more. Now, we don't know exactly the stuff they were doing midweek or... You know, I'm, I'm sure that people were going out telling others about Jesus. All we know is that they were trying to have more prayer meetings, and they, they get a heckler. And this is really hard. They get a, they get a troll right there, and like a live troll, right? And so everywhere they go, it's this girl who's screaming, probably in a really creepy voice, because she was possessed by demons, and she was a slave girl whose masters had turned her into a, they, they, were, they were making money off her because she would tell people's fortunes. And so she sees them, recognizes the, the powerful spirit in them, and is trying to warn everybody who they are. Now, Paul puts up with this. He puts up with this for a couple of days, and he's doing real well. Real well. Silas is patting him on the back, you know. Luke is checking his blood pressure. He's <laughs> still okay. Just hang in there, hang in there, tiger. Well, he just finally loses it. And he turns, and he says, come out in Jesus' name. I don't know why he didn't cast the demon out initially. Maybe he was nervous about this eventuality happening. Uh, I don't know. But here's what happens. He casts the demon out, and, and the, 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 her masters get furious because she was their meal ticket. And immediately, there's serious tension, and they grab Paul and Silas, and they take him before the, the magistrates, and they say, he's telling us to do all these things that aren't a part of our religion. It was probably trumped up charges. There's just not enough written in that passage. Acts chapter 16, by the way, the, the story is in. Um, so all this stuff, and so what they, here's what they do. They start beating them. Now, here's what you need to know about Philippi, though. Philippi wasn't just a regular city. Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, this is extremely important. You guys know in, in the ancient world that Roman citizenship was a really, really prized, incredibly valuable thing. Because if you had Roman citizenship, you had legal protections that nobody else had. You had land rights that nobody else had. You were, uh, like, this was an incredible privilege to be a Roman citizen. Well, one of the biggest things that, that, that you were protected of is, is, well, is being beaten without a trial something we kind of, you know, more or less take for granted here. Um, it, it, here, Paul was a Roman citizen. And of all the places where he would have been protected, outside of Rome itself, this was the place he would be the most protected. Nobody can lay a finger on Paul. And if they did, it would, be, it would mean all their jobs, literally. Like, it would be a, a, a huge embarrassment and a legal a massive legal issue here. How dare you beat a Roman citizen in Philippi of all places? Well, you know what? Paul doesn't kill him. There's other places where Paul's about to get beaten and he tells them, I'm a Roman citizen. And they go, whoa, like that. That's what would have happened here. 
but he does not tell them. Now, it is possible the whole thing happened so fast he couldn't get the words out. I just don't buy it, though, because all he had to go is, Roman citizen! And they're like, hey, you know. He didn't do it. So here's what I think, and I could be wrong in this, but I really think this is true. I think just in the same way the Holy Spirit whispered into his ear as he's on his trip about where to go, I think the Holy Spirit said, Paul, I want you to go through this. Trust me. So he doesn't tell him. And they beat him within an inch of his life. And then they throw him in the dungeon, and they, they put, his, put his hands and his feet in chains. And the whole time, what do you think that church is doing? <laughs> They love this guy. He's the father of their new faith. They adore him. They have this dear relationship. And if you just saw the man like this, who meant everything to you, get hauled off, I think there would be massive prayer going on. An incredible, tense time. So they're praying like crazy. And poor Paul. Lord, <laughs> you called us to this place, and it was clear. Like that vision that you gave me, it couldn't have been clear. The, the guy in my vision was wearing a University of Macedonia sweatshirt. Like, it was so clear. And here you brought, that's also in the Greek. Here you brought us, and look where we are. Now that's what I would have been saying probably, to be honest with you. I would have had a really hard time with that. But here's Paul and Silas, and what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing hymns of joy to the Lord. In that situation... Incredible. Can you imagine what the other prisoners were thinking? These guys like bleeding. There's risk of them bleeding out. They, they easily could have died. And their songs echo through the walls of the jail. And suddenly an earthquake comes. And their bonds fall off. And the doors fly open. And people are running out going, all the, all the oxen free. And they're so excited. And Paul and Silas, they can go too. Silas is like, let's go, Paul. And he's going out. And here's, I think it happened again. Holy Spirit whispers, don't go anywhere. Why wouldn't they run? They didn't run away. And suddenly they hear the old jailer. Maybe he had fallen asleep. He was probably a veteran of Caesar's wars from years ago. Probably an older guy. And here he is realizing he has done the unthinkable. He has lost his prison. And all the prisoners are gone. And he's about to take his own life. And Paul's able to stop and say, don't do it. Let me tell you about this Jesus. The man is baptized along with his entire family in the middle of the night. Is that momentum and church growth right there? What a story. So the church hears this. The church is ecstatic. The church grows. The only people who aren't ecstatic are all the legal authorities in the town. Because the next morning they come and he's like, so... Is it lawful to beat a Roman without a trial? And they're like, <gasps> no, this causes massive panic. Paul, Paul, we're so sorry, Paul, 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 please, Paul, Paul, Paul. We didn't know, we didn't know you. What, 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 you could have told, well, maybe we, okay, we, you couldn't have told us. You, 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 we're so sorry, Paul, please, please, please. And they beg him to leave town. Paul goes back with the church, he ministers to them, and then you know what he does? He actually leaves town. He actually, he actually goes. And I think that was incredibly gracious of him. He could have called, the, the man, heads could have rolled there, and he, he just go, he moves on. So that is how the church in Philippi began. By this man who had done nothing wrong, taking a beating he didn't have to take, and singing with joy in the midst of his circumstances. That is how it begins. Here um, is, this is the archaeological site where the jail in Philippi was. Here is apparently, you know, where archaeologists think it would, you know, a dark, almost more like a cave than anything else, where they might have been singing for joy. So... 
here the, uh, the church has an example here of God coming through in a really, really difficult time. Their man is in jail and God came through and did something amazing. And here they are again, getting a letter from a man, the same man who was in jail, and they're praying, do it again, Lord, do it again. But it's not happening. The church has grown now, 13 years later. Paul has visited them again on his other missionary journey. He has evidently kept in contact with them. They sent him supplies before. Now he's keeping in touch, letting them know of his situation. They know of his situation. They're praying like crazy. But their prayer isn't being answered this time. So here, Paul now is saying, thank you guys so much for the gift. And watch what he's doing with them. Check this out. This is good. I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. They are partakers of grace. What he's saying here is something beyond that we're just friends. They've sacrificed with him. He's saying, you've prayed with me, you've worked with me, and, and I know that we're, we're not just friends, we're partners in the gospel. That's why he's confident that God's going to complete the work in them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm a Philippian Christian reading that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of skimming over that. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, Paul, I appreciate that. But I'm worried about you here, okay? Like, I'm glad that he's going to complete the work in me. But I'm praying for you, and you're still not free, evidently. I was hoping maybe we would get this amazing report that you're not in jail, but that's not what you're telling us right now. Paul continues. This I pray, that your love may still abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Look what's happening here. Paul is encouraging them. He's the one in prison, but he's encouraging them. Have you ever been in this situation? Maybe you have a dear friend or family member in the hospital, not doing well. You go and visit them. You're supposed to come in and cheer them up. But then they're cheering you up the entire time. And you're like crying and then realize like you're all encouraged. You're like, stop it. This is wrong. It's supposed to be the other way around. You guys felt that before? Uh, let me give you an example. He's not here today. But Tito has been that for me so many times. Tito has been, you know, dealing with cancer the past three years. And there's been some times when he's just been not doing well. You walk in and you're just, you know, pray for this guy and encourage him. And then he's just like, oh, he's just gushing about the goodness of God in the midst of this horrible situation as his body's crying out in pain and terror. He's telling you about how he's able to share with this nurse and pray with this nurse and the Lord was coming through here and isn't this good, the family of God coming together and praying and I'm so glad you're here and you're such, and I'm just like, stop! That's what Paul's doing right here. It's an amazing example, beautiful example. He continues. Now he's, he, he's here's the elephant in the room here, okay? I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's like, bear with me, bear with me. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. 
And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add my affliction and chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. <laughs> what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice. Oh my goodness. What is your deal, Paul? These guys over here are like, you know what? Our man, Paul, look, at he's in jail, and he's not afraid. He spoke with boldness, so we can speak with boldness too. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah, even if it's persecution, we can speak with boldness. And they start to preach all the more boldly about the goodness of God. These guys over here are probably mocking and sneering. That's what N.T. Wright thinks this is referring to. Probably people are like, can you believe this jailbird, Paul? What a moron this guy is. You know why he's, yeah, this, get this. This is great. You may have never heard this before. He thinks that this Jewish rabbi, this is, this is great. This Jewish rabbi is like king, like Caesar of everybody. That's what he actually thinks. And he, he was, he, this rabbi was killed, and now Paul says he came back to life. Can you believe that? So he started these churches all over. So what, you know what Paul's going? Paul's going, <laughs> say that some more, say that some more. What are they, they're just preaching the gospel. Trying to add to his shame and scorn. But what's happened? The story of Jesus is spreading all over the place. And he's telling these people who love him so dearly and are so concerned about him. He says, guys, I'm telling you, I know this is hard for you. I know you'd like to see me free. I know you'd like for all your prayers to be answered again, just like they were before. But I'm telling you, God's at work here. Good things are happening. saying this is a win now Paul's not in denial here he knows what could happen he knows it might be the end but he understands something that you and I sometimes forget because we live in a very materialistic culture not like wealth materialistic that too but thinking that materials are all that we have thinking that this physical world is all that we have see this is the world we swim in and we have to remember it we have to remember that there's an automatic bias, that the only thing that's real is the things that we can see. Paul doesn't live there, and he's, we, we need to remember and, and watch what he does here, you see. Paul's faith is inseparable from eternity. You can't separate Paul's ironclad confidence from the reality of eternal life. If you take out eternal life, then the, the faith is going to fall apart, too. Now, here's why I say that. I know, I know that maybe people have focused on too much on the next life, uh, on heaven, and all these things, and become dreamers, you know, they're so heavenly-minded, no earthly good, or whatever. I get that, and that is, a, there, there can be an extreme there. But I actually think we've overcorrected in modern America, that we never think about this. That it's just too much to think about. And so we're so focused on doing things here, which we ought to be focused on doing things here. But we forget the beautiful reality that this life is only a breath. And we get to go on and on and live with him forever. But if we lose it, we lose a key, beautiful, essential piece of our faith. And we're going to fall apart unless we remember it. Paul refused to let the eternal things be broken off. He was always thinking of eternity. He was always thinking of life with Jesus Christ. 
we cannot remove that from the equation. I'm thinking of all this. I have to tell you about Nabil Qureshi. He's a 34-year-old son of an, uh, a Pakistani immigrant. His parents uh, are devout Muslims, uh, peaceful, and they were a, a very um, sincere, affectionate, uh, devoted people. Um, Nabil, uh, uh, you know, demonstrates great love and respect for them. But he went to college, and while he was in college being a devout Muslim, he met a friend named David who was a Christian. And they became dear friends. They were like partners on the debate team and all these things. And, and they would, he would stay at David's house. And, and soon in their relationship, they began to talk about their respective faiths. David was a sincere Christian who was a real student of apologetics and students of, of, of the faith. And Nabil was a real student of Islam. And they began to argue, but in a good and friendly and beautiful, respectful way that I wish we could all, you know, get some of that. Because I feel like there's way too much polarization that we can't even talk sometimes. I think it was a beautiful example. So anyway, they start this. And Nabil, over years, this happens over years, these conversations happen. And he finds himself back more and more to a corner going, there's a whole lot more evidence, I think, for, for the truth of, of Christianity than than for the thing that I myself have grown up in and I'm a scholar and a defender of. So he started getting very concerned because he knew if he became a Christian, it would just it would destroy his parents. It would just destroy them emotionally. So he, he wasn't sure what to do, and finally Jesus meets him in his dreams. He has these powerful dreams. Any of you guys have heard of this happening in the Muslim world? It happens all the time. It's a, one of the ways that the Lord seems to break through uh, in, in, uh, in that region and, and, and those people. And he gets to a place when he's like, I can't deny this anymore. And so he gives his heart to Jesus Christ. And it really does destroy his parents internally. They still love him. But just, it was very, very difficult. And, and Nabil, who was going to school to become a medical doctor, he, he falls so in love with Jesus and the Bible that after he gets his MD, he goes back to school because he wants to study the New Testament. And he wants to study apologetics. And he wants to defend the Christian faith now. So he is a brilliant mind, right? And so he goes and he dives into it. And him and his friend David become partners in the ministry. Talking about the, 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 the truth of, of the scriptures and the rationality of the scriptures. And they begin engaging other students and other people all over the world. He's so good at it that he joins the team of Ravi Zacharias Itinerant Ministries. They would go, him and Ravi and some of the other people would go to college campuses and he'd stand up there and he would, he would discuss Islam with students who were Muslim or all over. And, and he was just, he had this you know, way of reaching out to people and, and, and engaging in this beautiful way. Well, this happened and, and things were going well for him. In fact, he wrote a book that you've probably heard of called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Has anybody read that book in here? Right on. Isn't it beautiful? Okay, I, I'm just going to tell you, you should read this book. It is a beautiful, profound book when he tells his whole story. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi. Um, it came out maybe three, four years ago. Uh, he had all the, the, the Christian bestseller list. He even was a New York Times bestseller. He wrote another uh, couple of books after that as well in this same vein. So beautiful things happening. Well, last year uh, he posted uh, a message on his social media account saying, I'm only 33 years old, but I've just been diagnosed with severe stomach cancer. And apparently it's very far along, and I don't know what's going to happen. So pray for me, saints. Please pray for me. 
And uh, so he, he, ended the, uh, he ended the letter this way in the, the last couple of paragraphs. He says, friends and family, may I ask you to fast and pray fervently for my healing? I do not profess to know the will of God, but many of my close friends and confidants are convinced that this is a trial through which the Lord intends to bring me alive and refined. May his will be done. And may I invite you to seek him in earnest on your knees, fasting on my behalf, asking our Yahweh Rapha for healing in Jesus' name. And look how he ends the letter. He ends the letter with the very words of Paul in Philippians, the very next verse after what we just read. Here's how he ends the letter. And as you pray and fast, quote, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ will be honored, whatever happens to me. He will be honored. So because of that, he rejoices, just like Paul. I might not get out of this prison sentence. I might die here. If that happens, I will still rejoice. Because the Lord will be honored. He will be praised. So Nabil rejoices. Yesterday, Nabil died. Just yesterday. one of these things that the people of God wrestle with, and he was wrestling with right up until the end of like, I don't understand this. I, I've got a, a little daughter here and a wife, and, and this very, very needed thing the Holy Spirit was laying, what's going on here? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But Lord, your will be done, and I trust you, and, and, and I'm not gonna break my faith off from eternity. You see, you can't do that can't do that because this is a big part of the Christian faith. We live on and on and on with him forever. Whatever happens. I want to let you see a bit of a commencement address he gave to Biola University. This is shortly after his diagnosis. This is uh, near the end of his address. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Your ministry. What is your ministry? Why did you get the degree you got? And it wasn't because you flipped a coin. It wasn't because, oh, you just wanted to. What does Psalms tell us? It tells us that he who loves the Lord, the Lord gives him the desires of his heart. Did you get a degree in art? It wasn't an accident. The Lord gave you that desire. Are you going to become a pastor? Great. We can all pastor others. We can all reach this world. And that is who you are. Don't forget who you are. You're not an accident. And when you go out into this world, you've been under the covering of Biola University, a phenomenal place to learn and grow. But I'll tell you, the moment you leave these walls, you'll be thrust into a world where the prevailing paradigm is pointlessness, is meaninglessness, is death. Might as well eat and drink because for tomorrow we die. That's how most people see the world, whether they know it or not. And some of you in this room might still see the world that way. What am I living for? I'm telling you, the reason you're alive the reason you're a child of God is to spread life into this world. Now, I'm looking out. And I'm praying with all my heart that one day I will see my daughter in one of these seats. 
but I charge you, I charge you as if you were my son or my daughter. Do not live this life thinking that you are just a person. You are an adopted heir, a son of God, a daughter of God, a prince or a princess sent to combat for the kingdom in this world of darkness. And you can bring life with the words that you speak. You can bring life as you reach out to the people in your workplace. Courage and conviction, what a powerful theme. Yeah, if we were gonna die and go to the grave and that would be it, what point is there to have courage and conviction? No, you can go into enemy fire. You can go into lands riddled with Ebola. You can go into sex trafficking trains and not worry if they will kill you because you have eternal life. He has already overcome the world, take heart. He has already overcome the world. Guys, no matter what we face, no matter what losses we're mourning, and we're mourning some losses. Not only did we lose Sam Crocker, we also lost Michaela this week, the granddaughter of um, Bill and, and Ann. Um, tough things. Sarah Slater just lost her father. These are, these are just realities, difficult things that, that we walk through. But as believers, we know that he's overcome the world. So no matter what it is we're facing, no matter what losses we're mourning, no matter what prayers we're still waiting for answers on, and many of us are waiting for answers of prayer. I sure am. No matter what those things are, we have hope beyond our present circumstances. Because eternity is forever inextricably a part of our faith. There, this is our confidence. This is our courage. This is our reason for joy. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And he will complete the work he began in each one of us. He will. Let's stand together. Prayer servant team, please come forward. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of your servants, Paul and Nabil. We thank you, Lord, for those who have gone before us. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is always here. We thank you, Lord, that you promise to be with us forever and ever. So we ask, Lord, we ask that you would give us confidence in the face of fear, confidence in the face of loss, confidence in the face of sickness, confidence in the face of unanswered prayer. Lord, we don't want to shrink back from that any longer. Lord, give us boldness in the middle of this, just like Paul. Give us boldness to face these things without flinching. We don't want to flinch anymore, Lord. We want to be an unflinching people who directly toward your destiny, directly toward your heart. So, Lord, we ask that we could do that. We ask, Lord, help us to be as faithful as Paul and as faithful as Nabil. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name. Amen.